0: is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI, News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham, and KGMI.com.
1: Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live, Dick Donahue with you this Saturday, live and in studio. And we are going to start out, as we always do, with our weekly wrap and the market had a decent showing this week on the heels of last week's big gains. Market participants were digesting another heavy flow of earnings news, but the news was largely overshadowed by moves in the mega-cap stocks. The mega-cap ETF jumped 3.4% this year versus a 1.3% gain in the market cap-weighted S&P 500, which closed above its 4,400 level on Friday. The S&P 500 equal-weight ETF meanwhile declined about six-tenths of 1% this week. The broader market showed nice resilience in s- selling efforts despite many participants thinking stocks are due for a pullback. The S&P 500 is now up 7.2% from its low close on October 27th. <clears throat> Small and mid-cap stocks were an exception, reflecting <coughs> excuse me. relenting to some selling pressures this week. The Russell 2000 fell 3.2 percent. The S&P 500 mid-cap declined 1.6 percent. Six of the 11 S&P 500 sectors logged again this week. The heavily wa- weighted information technology was up 4.8. Communication services up 2.2. They were the best performers, followed by consumer discretionary up a nine-tenths of 1 percent. Energy was down 3.8 utilities down 26 and real estate sector saw the biggest declines down 2.1%. A jump in market rates followed some Treasury action auctions this week, along with commentary from Fed Chair Powell showed that the rebound momentum in the mar- broader market, the two-year yield, uh, climbed 19 basis points to 5.05%. The 10-year note yield rose 7 basis points to 4.63%. Sales of three- and ten-year notes on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively, both met okay enough demand for the stock market. But Thursday's 30-year bond auction was met with dismal demand. There were several federal uh, officials speaking this week, but the market was mostly focused on Fed Chair Powell's IMF panel discussion on Thursday. Powell largely reiterated his remarks from November 1st, saying if it co- becomes appropriate to tighten for policy further, we will do not hesitate to do so. So looking at Monday's market, the market experienced some consolidation following the best week of the year for stocks. Major indices were largely supported by mega cap gains, while many other stocks declined due to profit-taking activity. Rising market rates were another factor, keeping stocks in check. Like equities, Treasuries experienced some consolidation after last week's big gains. There was no economic data of note on Monday. And on Tuesday, like Monday, Relative strength in the mega-cap stocks propelled the major indices to close with gains. The mega-cap growth ETF climbed 1%, the NASDAQ composite rose 9 tenths of 1%, and the market cap-weighted S&P rose 2 tenths. The market saw some selling activity, but remained resilient overall. The equal weight S&P 500 declined 2 tenths of 1%. The drop in market rates... Short covering activity and/or a fear of missing out on further gains in the seasonally uh, strong period for the market presumably act as a support for equities. Uber and the S- NXP semiconductor were standout winners after reporting earnings. Thursday or Tuesday's economic data. We saw the September trade balance come in at minus 61.5 billion. The key takeaway from this report is that there was a strength in, in both in both imports and exports in September, demonstrating the, the continued strength in the U.S. economy and the appeal of U.S. goods abroad at a time when softening global demand. We also saw consumer credit decrease by $9 billion in September after decreasing a downwardly revised $15.8 billion in August. The key takeaway in this report is that the tighter lending standards and reduced borrowing needs meet needs in the face of higher interest rates has slowed the pace of credit expansion, particularly for non-revolving debt. On Wednesday, the trade was somewhat lackluster. The market was in a steady grind lower through most of the morning without any strong directional drivers. The major indices ultimately climbed off-session lows in the afternoon trade, which the market little changed from Tuesday. The afternoon improvement in the stock market was helped by mega-cap leadership along a decent 40000000000 billion 10-year note sale. Treasuries, meanwhile, were little changed following the results of the auction. We saw that the overall muted vibe in Wednesday's trade was partic- partially driven uh, growth worries, which manifested themselves in oil prices and the underperformance of the Russell 2000, a growing sense that the market is due for a pullback and it's also contributed to the negative bias. Reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw that the weekly Mortgage Bankers Association index was up to 2.5%, two and, and the September Wholesale Inventories Index were up to 1%. On Thursday, Thursday's trade looked similar to recent sessions in the early going. The major indices traded in narrow ranges as participants awaited the results of the $24 billion 30-year bond action at 1 o'clock Eastern, followed by Fed Chair Powell's IMF panel discussion at 2 p.m. Eastern. Selling picked up in response to those events, which left the major industries near their worst levels of the day at at the close. Stocks took a sharp turn lower, and Treasury yields turned higher immediately after the result of the $24 billion 30-year auction showed much weaker demand than the six for the three- and ten-year notes over the past two days. The major indices continued to decline during Fed Chair Powell's IMF panel discussion. His comments reiterated what we had said at his post-FOMC press conference on November 1st. Just about everything included in the mega caps has been supporting index gains this week, Uh, relented to the pullback that many thought was overdue. Thursday's economic data, we saw weekly uh, initial job claims at 217,000. We saw continuing claims at 1.834 million. The key takeaway from this report is that continuing jobless claims have reached their highest level since April, lending lending some response resonance to the idea that there's some softening in what is still a generally tight labor market. On Friday, the stock market closed out the week in rally mode. Strong showing from mega-cap stocks and semiconductor stocks which rallied on the past. Pleasing October sales update from the Taiwan Semiconductor, which had an outsized influence on the index gains. Like many other stocks, though, so participated in Friday's upside. The major industries all closed near their highs for the days, which had the S&P 500, again, above its 4,400 level. The mega-cap ETF rose 2% which brought its gains this week to 3.4, and the PHLX semiconductor index jumped 4%. Price action in the earlier going was more muted as treasury yields climbed off of overnight lows in response to Friday morning's release of preliminary November University of Michigan index of consumer sentiment. Despite the move up in yields, the buying activity picked up in equities around 11 a.m. Eastern with no specific catalyst. Just about everything came along for the afternoon rally 26 of 30 Dow components logged a gain, all 11 S&P 500 sectors closed in the green with eight sectors logging a gain of at least 1.1%. So reviewing Friday's economic data, we saw the University of Michigan's consumer sentiment index at 60.4. The key takeaway from this report is the jump in inflation expectations, which is not what the Fed wants to see following the 20 um, the 5, to 5, 5 525 basis point worth of tightening already. It is a type of indication that will keep the Fed entertaining the thought that further tightening may still be necessary. So year-to-date up through yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 3.4%. The NASDAQ is up 3,18%. The S&P 500 is up 15%. And the Russell 2000 Index is down
2: 3.2%. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back in a moment. A change of season is a beautiful thing, but you've got to be comfortable to really enjoy it. Hi, Joe T. and for my friends at West Mechanical, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Your furnace is back in action as temperatures have cooled down, and now is the time to have it checked by the pros at West Mechanical. An annual tune-up is essential to keep your equipment running as efficiently and as long as possible, but heating systems don't last forever, and it might be time to consider an upgrade. That could be a new ductless system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. The beauty of an efficient ductless system is that it both heats and cools your home. The perfect solution for year-round comfort. And right now, you can save $1,000 on the installation of a new Mitsubishi electric system from West Mechanical. They're the pros I rely on, and they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So whether you're looking to keep your current system running its best, or want to see options on a new way to keep warm and cool, contact West Mechanical today at westmechanical.net. Hello, folks. This
3: is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham, and I'd like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probate, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m., and we can show you how to set your family up for success. I'm Secretary of State Steve Hobbs. Voting for the general election ended November 7th, but results are not final until counties certify later this month. Your local election office will continue receiving ballots that were postmarked by Election Day and will make sure every valid vote counts. Check the status of your ballot by visiting votewa.gov. That's v-o-t-e-w-a.gov.
0: Sponsored by the Office of Secretary of State and aired in cooperation with the Washington State Association of Broadcasters and this station.
4: The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group.
5: If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children
1: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you here in studio today. And we are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's old Highway 99. Runs parallel to I-5 north, I guess actually all the way up from Costco, all the way up to Ferndale. But, but um, to go off the Slater Road, go to your right, come up the old Highway 99. We're out there in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248, our phone number 360 Well, looking at the high-frequency data tracker that we follow every week, we found that initial jobless claims, as I mentioned a minute ago, but for the week ending November 3rd, there were 217,000. Uh, that was actually an increase of 1.4%. And then we saw continuing jobless claims as of October 27th, 1,834,000 and that was a decline of 1.2%. We saw that box office receipts and for the weekend of November 9th, you may be if you follow what I'm giving these box office re, uh, reports every week have been extremely volatile, this week down 52.3%. We saw rail cars uh, tra- uh, uh, down in traffic about down about 2.9% in the last week. Steel production was down a half a percent. Hotel occupancy at 59.7% was down almost 9.5%. TSA checkpoint data as of November 8th, 2,321,437 passengers a day. Uh, That was actually up 2.5% for the week. We saw the supply of motor gasoline as of October 27th was down about 1.9%. And looking at global commercial flights as of November 9th, 119,997 a day That's almost over 6,000 more than we had back in 2019, but that was down about nine-tenths of 1% for the week, so a slight decline there in the number of global flights as well. Well, you know, starting back in mid-2020, we began worrying about forecasting higher inflation. The reason behind this was our belief in Milton Friedman and his view that inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Not only did the Federal Reserve or the Fed allow the M2 measure of money to supply roughly 40% in 2020 and 21, but COVID policy disrupted supply chains with pandemic benefits stimulated demand. If you look at, we examine this to the, sur- the surge in inflation to 40 year highs in, 2000, in the U.S. has proven far from transitory. The growth in the consumer price index has now exceeded the Fed's preferred target of two percent per year over year-over-year uh, uh, year inflation for almost three years. We believe that the underlying cause of this persistent inflation is growth in the money supply. Without that, we believe that the purchasing power of the dollar would have fallen to dras- fallen drastically. So let's take a look at this M- M2 money supply versus past decades which basically had about a 6% trend. So in contrast to the quantity of easing in 2008 to 14, it appears to us that during COVID, the Fed monetized debt issuance from the US Treasury and along with it the paycheck protection program or PPP loans and pandemic unemployment benefits. This newly created cash was directly deposited into people's bank accounts as stimulus payments resulting in a rapid surge in the money supply. This boosted in growth in M2 well above its normal trend. And even though growth in M2 has slowed from where it was, and it's even gone negative in the last year, it's still above the trend that it existed before the previous decade. So let's compare the M2 money supply versus CPI, or Consumer Price Index. You know, Friedman observed that as a lag in the impact of money and inflation and the surge in money supply took about a year to noticeably affect prices. Recently, the M2 supply has started to decline. The level of M2 remains comfortably above the long-term trend, which alleviates deflation concerns. But if this trend persists, the growth rate of inflation should continue to come down. And then we're seeing that prices are permanently adjusted higher as this went along. It's common for the average person to mix in the terms of deflation and disinflation, they're currently witnessing is di- di- disinflation, which means a decrease in the inflation rate. Deflation, on the other hand, occurs when the actual prices levels declines. Late- lately, prices are still on the rise, but at a slower rate compared to the previous years. In fact, prices are now 10.3% higher through September than they would have been if inflation had continued growing at the Fed's preferred 2% target, even when the 2% target is eventually reached, prices will remain permanently adjusted, more than 10% higher than what would have been owing to the significant money creation over the past few years. So, creating lots of money creates lots of inflation. I think that they would know that somewhere along the line. And let's talk a little bit here about energy-related stocks. And we're going to talk about the uh, one-year and average annualized returns on energy stocks up through November 3rd. And basically, you know, today we're, we're, we are comparing the performance of energy-related stocks to the broader market as measured by the S&P 500 Index over an extended period, given that most developed and developing countries or economies are dependent on oil, natural gas, and electricity for their growth. The prices of these commodities often, but not always, influence the valuation of companies involved in these sectors. The S&P 500 Energy Index, or the Energy Index as we call it, outperformed the broader S&P 500 Index in just two of the last eight time frames that that, that we're looking at here. And these eight time year time frames go one year, three years, five years, 10, 15, 20, and 25. So again... The Energy S&P 500 Index only outperformed uh, the S&P 500 in two of those eight time frames. For comparison, the S&P 500 Utilities Index has underperformed the S&P Index in all eight time frames. Again, those are year-to-date, one year, three, five, 10, 15, 20, and 25 years. So basically, we've seen the Utilities Index underperform in every time frame, and the in energy index is underperformed six out of eight. But energy company valuations frequently exhibit a high correlation to the price movements of the two underlying commodities, which the valuation of utilities companies often fluctuate based on prevailing interest rates. If you turn, From our perspective, the recent total returns of energy and utility stocks continue to reflect these associations. The price of a barrel of of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil rose 0.31% on a year-to-date basis through November 3rd. By comparison, the S&P 500 Energy Index rose, uh, increased by 1.39% on a total return basis over that same period. Similarly, the federal funds target rate, which is upper bound, uh, stood at 5.5% on October 31st and that was up from 4.5% in December of 22. And the utilities index responded with a decline of 10.16% on a total basis year-to-date through November 3rd. The uh, price-to-earnings ratio, or multiples, of the S&P 500 and the utilities index stand below their 20-year averages, while the P.E. ratio for the energy index sits well above its 20-year average. As of November 3rd, the 2023 year-end uh, P.E. ratios for the S&P 500 Utilities and Energy Indexes stood at, so we'll give you each one of these again, the S&P 500 was 20.01, the Utilities Index was 16.83 times, and the uh, Energy Index was 11.24% respectively. By contrast, the 20-year uh, uh, average P.E. ratios for some the same indexes stood at 18.36%, 16.66, and 35.50, respectively, through November 3rd. Energy and utility stocks represent a content combined weighting of approximately 6.93% of the S&P 500, uh, and that's according to data from S&P Global. The estimated 2023 year-end PE ratios for the S&P 500 index, utilities index, and industry index currently are... Um, Reflect the year-end growth earnings for 23 are down 3.19 percent, up 6.6, and down 29.8. So, what is our takeaway from from this discussion? Our takeaway is that the total returns of 65.43 percent and 1.56 percent, respectively, on energy and utilities, were, were the only S&P 500 index sectors to post positive total returns in 22. Since then, they have underperformed the broader S&P 500 index by a significant margin. In our view, crude oil, volatility, and surging interest rates may offer insight into the recent underperformance in energy and utility companies. Earnings for utilities index are forecast to remain positive in 2023. We don't find this surprising given that most households will keep using their, their lights, their air conditioning, their stoves and furnaces, even if budgets are stretched and commodity prices fluctuate, energy stocks, on the other hand, tend to face be more volatile. Lower economic activity means that fewer deliveries, trips to the store, and travel can have a negative impact on the earnings of energy companies. We come back. We're going to talk a little bit about crude oil prices and why they remain below recent highs. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf. Wake up live. We'll be back shortly. & Bodie's Black Friday
0: early access sale is underway, and you don't want to miss it. Black Friday pricing is available now on appliances, barbecues, mattresses, and more at all three & Bodie locations in Bellingham and Burlington. Now is the time to prepare for the holidays with extra special savings on all things cooking, like ranges, wall ovens, cooktops, microwaves, and more. Plus, delivery and installation before Thanksgiving. Upgrade your mattress this weekend with Black Friday savings on Tempur-Pedic, Sealy, and Stearns and Foster. You'll also find. Savings Savings up to 50% off on end of season closeouts and floor model appliances and mattresses. Keep your cash for the holidays and pay no money down and no interest for two full years on qualifying appliances and up to five full years on qualifying mattresses. Shop in confidence with DeWard and Bodie's 30 day local price match guarantee so you know you're getting the best price in town. Shop the biggest sale of the season during Black Friday early access at DeWard and Bodie right now in Bellingham and Burlington. Financing OEC offer qualifications. Are you
1: looking for an auto shop that offers honest quality service? Hi, I'm Kirk, owner of Angler Automotive. At Angler Automotive, we strive to make sure that all of your automotive service needs are met. Angler Automotive provides the factory recommended services that are required to maintain your vehicle's warranty. Angler Automotive, outstanding quality with honest, reliable service. Check us out online at anglerautomotive.com.
4: This week with PNW Perks, Hella Provisions is back to make your holiday shopping that much easier. Hella Provisions is Bellingham's unique specialty grocery with a European flair. Take home tasty ingredients from Hella Provisions Market to upgrade your pantry or throw a decadent cocktail party. Hella Provisions offers gift baskets and kits, grab-and-go sandwiches, and catering. Don't know what to buy that special someone? Let Anna, the owner with over 30 years of experience, recommend the perfect gift, craft a charcuterie board, choose a bottle of wine, or curate an experience that celebrates life's special moments. Go as gourmet as you'd like, just let Anna know your taste and theme she guarantees to create a beautiful and scrumptious selection of specialty items. This holiday season, let Hella Provisions make your life a little easier with their custom gift baskets, charcuterie boards, and other unique items. Hella Provisions, where food and community meet. Thursday at 8 a.m., get a $50 gift card to Hella Provisions for just $25 at pnwperks.com.
5: CBS News Brief. Israel's attacks on Hamas in Gaza are intensifying around hospitals. A surgeon told the BBC the situation is dire.
2: We are in the main building of the hospital.
1: No, uh, no, we cannot get outside of the building because uh, there is a shooting everywhere.
5: There's a federal investigation into campaign fundraising in New York City. Anyone with ties to two specific companies are being scrutinized, including Mayor Adams. WCBS's Dick Brennan. It was
0: determined that this person acted improperly and could have been trying to mount a cover-up, the sources said. We're told this person is not in the mayor's immediate circle. An FBI spokesperson declined to comment.
5: Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh won't be on the sidelines for the rest of the season, punished for signal stealing. CBS Detroit's Ronnie Duncan. The
3: University of Michigan says that the discipline by the Big Ten commissioner ignores their right to due process
5: as it comes before the end of the investigation. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, that I won't forget
1: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue here with you live and in studio. As I mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, crude oil prices and the fact that they remain below most recent highs. We're also going to talk a little bit about the crude oil prices, the West Texas Intermediate Crude, as we call it, and what's happening as far as the number of crude oil rigs that are actually producing at this point in time. And the Energy Information Administration has reported that the U.S. Petroleum consumption averaged nearly 20.28 million barrels per day in 2022. That was an increase of almost 12% from average daily consumption in 2020, according to its own release. And while many pundits estimate that petroleum usage will decline over the long term, oil is mostly consumed was the most consumed source of US energy on an annual basis last year. The price of crude oil tends to fluctuate wildly based on a myriad of economic and market factors. But the EIA notes that the changes in supply and demand caused by economic growth and contraction are often the leading causes behind price swings. The average daily price of crude oil for the period we're talking about was $85.92 a barrel. The highest price during that period was $123.72 on the, per barrel on August 8th of 22. While it remains well off its most recent high, the price of West Texas Community Crude Oil stood at $85.51 a barrel at the close of trading on November 3rd. That was down 3.66% from its closing price of 83.57 on October 29th of 21, according to Bloomberg. For comparative purposes, the S and P 500 energy index posted an average annual return of 27.83 percent over this period of time, and that would again for, for, that would have been for 21 to uh, October of 21 through November of 23. Uh, the average uh, uh, total return for the S and P 500 index was down 1.14 percent over that same time frame. So the top performing energy subsector, which there were five were the S&P 500 oil and gas refining and marketing subsector and an average annual return of over 39%. The number of active oil rigs rose from 444 on October 29th of 21 to 496 on November 3rd of this year, and that's according to data from Baker Hughes. The most recent high for, for this metric was 627 uh, rigs working on November 25th of 22. The key takeaway, the price of West Texas Intermediate crude oil stood at 77.37 a barrel, that was 37.45% below its most recent high of 123.70 on March 8th of 22. And from our perspective, one reason that the price of crude oil is 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 yet to retest its most recent high could be the rise in the relative value of the US dollar because from October 29th to 21 through November 3rd The U.S. dollar rose by 11.5% against a basket of foreign currencies, as measured by the U.S. dollar index. Another could be the weakening prospects of economic growth. Its most recent World World Economic Outlook, published in October of 23, the International Monetary Fund estimates that the U.S. and the global real gross domestic product would grow at just 1.5% and 2.9% respectively. In two thousand twenty-four, it's down from five point nine percent and six point three percent in two thousand twenty-one. In our view, these forecasts uh, uh, prove—if these forecasts prove to be wrong—it is possible that the price of oil could recover more quickly. So, kind of interesting to look at the fluctuating price of oil, and of course, all the discussions about replacing oil and natural gas, and yet it's still the largest single uh, portion of our energy production in the United States. Well, let's talk a little bit here about ready for retirement. You know, every three years, the Federal Reserve publishes an exhaustive study on consumer finances. The most recent survey contains some surprising data with respect to retirement. As an industry, we, the investment industry, have made some progress over the years, but much work remains to be done. Ensure that Americans are ready for retirement, according to this Federal Reserve survey, the consumer finances or this what we call the their survey of consumer finances or SCF, just over half u s families have retirement accounts at fifty four point three percent as of last year. While the proportion of families with retirement accounts closer to retirement and that's between fifty five and sixty four is slightly higher than the national average. It's actually down from 61% back in 2007. Similarly, the proportion of families with retirement accounts between 45 and 54 years old also saw a slight decline from since 2007. Interestingly, the SCF revealed that prior to the 2008 global financial crisis, retirement was the most important reason that families saved. But after the global financial crisis, uh, there appears to have been a behavioral shift around savings as families have pr- prioritized liquidity, i.e. having money set aside to cover an unexpected job loss or home repair over retirement. While the, the median value of retirement savings was sixty eighty six thousand nine hundred, those families close to retirement, and those are the ones between fifty five and sixty four, the median retirement a- a asset of hundred and eighty five thousand according to the study. However, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Found that the average American, 65 years and older, spends approximately fifty-seven thousand eight hundred eighteen dollars a year in retirement. So, in our view, both the proportion of those saving for retirement and the amount saved may tre- may need improvement for those planning to retire, regardless of Social Security benefits. You know, we've previously made its case that Americans may be uh, may begin to save more near the. Uh, near-term, given a below-average post-pandemic savings rate. The bigger picture, however, is that savings rates may need to increase a lot more to meet the financial goals of those families that are preparing for retirement. So, again, looking at this chart in front of me, we find that um, the percent of households in 2007 that um, uh, we had about 65%. Of the uh, those between 54 and or 45 and 54 that had had a uh, account in 2022 that had dropped to 62 percent, but then we also found that the individuals between 55 and 64 in 2007 61 percent had uh, a retirement account set up, and as of 2022 only 57 percent of those between 55 and fi- and 64. So significant drop in the number of amount of the numbers of the people that have got money, that are putting away money, something that you need to be aware of, something you need to look at. Take advantage of your IRAs. Take advantage of your 401Ks. Take advantage of your 403Bs. Take advantage of your employer match. Take advantage of all of those different things. We're also seeing that the U.S. economy is scoring low on a new index measuring the nation's well-being. We're scoring below average on this index. Of measuring the well-being of uh, as a whole, the index, which is a project of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, seeks to go beyond the traditional economic indicators in order to assess how households are really doing and their outlook in life. The new dashboard indicates that eleven gauges for health, wage growth, education, and civic participation, among other measures, are down in down <coughs> in the country. The nation's well-being score of four point nine one on a scale of 10 in 2021 reflects poor levels of economic activities and household f- uh, financial resilience, according to this index. is drawn partly from the Census Bureau surveys and from the National Center for Health Statistics. This index uh, uses data from 2005 to 21. It doesn't capture recent surge in consumer prices nor the impact from the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes to fight inflation, but it may help shed light on the growing disconnect between the way Americans have been feeling about the economy, which has been poorly, and indicators such as gross uh, domestic product and what they're showing, uh, and that are showing strong growth. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up
5: Live. We'll be back shortly. Our heroes, honoring those who have served and sacrificed for our nation. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC Electrical and Plumbing. Year-round, Barron is committed to supporting our active-duty military and veterans with special discounts. And this November, we're doubling this discount to 11% off any product or service. Additionally, we're partnering with Daikin to give more. For every Daikin heating or cooling system sold in November, Barron will donate $100 to local veterans' organizations. So when you upgrade your HVAC system, you're also helping give back to those who have served our country. Whether you're an active duty service member or veteran, take advantage of this 11% double discount. And for every Dykin system purchased in November, we'll donate $100 to local veterans' organizations. Call today to schedule your free estimate. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. The
3: Lummy Bay Market at Exit 260 is where you'll find more in the store. You'll find more in the store because there's so much store, almost 10,000 square feet. The Lummy Bay Market is where you'll find everything you need for on and off the road. You'll find the best value on gas and diesel, along with way more than you would expect out of a convenience store. There's a liquor department featuring a great selection of your favorite competitively priced spirits, wines, and mixers. And of course, you'll want to check out the huge selection of ice cold beer in their massive beer cave. Wanna grab a quick bite for breakfast or lunch? Don't feel like cooking dinner? At the Lummy Bay Market, you'll find a great hot deli counter, including our brand new fried chicken, chicken tenders, and chicken wings with all the fix-ins. Make the Lummy Bay Market your first or last stop of the day for fuel, food, and more. The Lummy Bay Market, just off I-5 at exit 260 on Rural Avenue. Open 24 hours, seven days a week. Lummy Bay Market, where, where there's more in the store.
5: Cause there ain't no doubt, I love this land, God bless the
1: USA. Welcome back, welcome to Live, with you. If you got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Well, we're seeing that the U.S. 30-year mortgage rate tumbles The most in more than a year, the average 30-year rate plunged this last week by the most it has in a year, helping generate the biggest advances in home purchase applications since early June. The contract rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage slid 25 basis points to 7.61%. That's the lowest level since the end of September, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. The group's index for mortgage applications for home purchases increased by 3% in the week ended November 3rd, according to data that came out on Wednesday. The U.S. 30-year mortgage rate slumps in its latest week, which was a decline in borrowing costs, helped stabilize home purchase measures. The second straight weekly decline in mortgage rates is its first since mid-June. It offers a modest relief to those struggling housing markets. Mortgage rates remain uncomfortably high and are discouraging many homeowners who have locked in rates at much lower rates from moving. That's put pressure on the supply and has kept prices elevated. So looking ahead, we think we now see the peak in mortgage rates and we anticipate a steady decline over the next couple of years, according to Thomas Ryan, (coughs) who's a property economist for Capital Economics, and said in a note. He said, even so, we don't expect them to fall below 6% before the end of twenty-five and far higher than the 4.1% average of the 2010 decade. He said it will keep affordability scratched and it will dampen any potential for a major recovery in housing activity. <clears throat> the Federal Reserve's decision last week to hold interest rates steady for a second straight meeting is offering some hope for the housing sector. While policyholders reaffirmed that they keep borrowing costs elevated in the near term, real estate stocks rallied last week on speculation that the central bank could be nearing the end of its tightening cycle. This outlook has helped bring the 10-year Treasury yield down from its peaks reached in October. Mortgage rates tend to move in tandem with the government yields. The Mortgage Bankers Association's overall index of applications, which indicates purchasing and refinancing, 2.5% this last week. That's from its lowest level since 1995. Refinancing activity also edged up. The MBA survey, which has been conducted weekly since 1990, uses responses from mortgage bankers, commercial banks, and thrifts. The data cover more than 75% of all retail residential mortgage applications in the United States. So pretty broad-based survey. And millennials. Millennials are joining the rank of sandwiched caregivers. What do we need to know about this? Well, the oldest millennials are caring for children and aging parents. They're feeling this squeeze, according to a New York Life survey. Nearly half of sandwiched generation caregivers say that they've fallen behind on essential expenses at some point in the last year and three-quarters of them say that they're exploring financial products to cover their own long-term care needs. American adults, who pro- provide care for both children and lo- aged loved ones, so-called sandwich generations, are more balanced in terms of gender than they were three years ago, and they now include the oldest millennials, according to a survey out from New York Life. New York Life uh, conducted the poll re- uh, results between August 31st and September 10th. There were 1,003 sandwich generation adults that were included, and those, they, are those, they are those that provide care for aging parents of one or more children. It's noted that the release of the results comes at the beginning of the National Family Caregivers Month. The demographic shift that we're seeing in caregiving is really significant. The survey found that 46% of self-reported caregivers are women but 55% are men there's a big change from 2020 when when 64% of caregivers were women and 36% were men we're also seeing the survey identified also identified a generational shift in caregiving 2023 68% of self-reported caregivers are millennials 23% are gen xers and 2029 in 2020 39% were millennials. Again, it can begin paired to 66% now, and 40% were Gen Xers. <clears throat> We've seen a quarter of sandwich generation adults in 2023 were Hispanic. That was up from 15% in 2020. 87% of respondents reported that they could provide care for an aging relative and a, ch- a child younger than 18. 48% also care for older child, and 30% care for one of, with a Chronic condition. In addition, 48% said that they're caring for either their over, their own or a family member's grandchild. And as a type of care that Sandwich Generation primarily provides for aging relatives, 45% do so with financial support, another 45% run errands on their behalf, and forty-four percent prepare their meals. For older children, caregivers mainly provide financial and housing support. So let's talk a little bit about this caregiving burden. We're seeing that the sandwich generation adults in this survey said that they spend 50 hours per week on caregiving, female caregivers reporting higher emotional and mental uh, strain and less financial uh, confidence than men. The survey found that the sandwich generation adults spend 22 hours a week providing care for their aging relative, 28 hours a week provide for children younger than 18. That's 10 more hours per week than the typical 9-to-5 job, according to the survey. Nearly half of sandwich generation adults identified a time when their household was unable to meet essential expenses because of the cost of caregiving in the previous 12 months. And 9 of 10 sandwich generation respondents said that they have made a lifestyle change or a financial decision because of the caregiving responsibilities. Thirty-four percent said they've cut back on other expenses. Twenty-six percent have contributed less or nothing to their emergency savings, and twenty-six have taken um, uh, t- taken on more debt. Ninety-five percent of sandwich generation adults reported that caregiving affected their prospective personal finances. Forty-seven percent said it mental mental uh, health stress. Forty-four percent and social life also said that 44% of them were impacted. Okay, well, let's see here. Let's take a look here. Well, we're seeing that um, the U.S. retiree surplus is still near two, 2 million years after COVID. What that means is that uh, three and a half years after the COVID struck, the U.S. has more than 2 million more retirees than we predicted. It's uh, one of the most striking and enduring changes in the nation's labor force. The so-called great retirement uh, indu- induced by COVID-19 is evidenced by a divergence between the actual number of retirees and the predicted by the Federal Reserve's economic model. Well, down from 2.8 million gap late last year, it remains elevated today, has even risen from a 1, 1.7 million in June. Again, we're looking at about 2 million. So before the pandemic, the participation rate for workers age 65 and older had reached 20.8% before dropping 2.5 percentage points in July of 21. That meant that over 65, 20.8% were still working. The rate for some rem- uh, re- risen into percentage to 19.3% but remains well below its pre-pandemic high. The lack of older workers is also creating some shortages. In Michigan, for example, state law was tweaked to make it easier for teachers to return to work without Uh, impacting their pensions. And before this summer's rise in excess retirees there was speculation that a whole unretirement wave was underway, but that seems to have not been the reality. Many older Americans are leaving the labor market on a one-way street. While many miss the Brutonian stimulation and want to resume work for financial reasons, rejoining the workforce can be difficult. Skills atrophy, work connections rapidly fade, Job seekers may confront ageism, all making it harder for many older workers to find a job. In 2022, the main duration to find a job aged for people 65 and older was 31.6 weeks, eight weeks longer than the overall average. Uh, Before the pandemic in 2017 and 19, about 3% of retired workers on average ended up having a job a year later. So Significant changes in the way the workforce is being made up and uh, older people decide to want to go back to work. They're not necessarily being hand out welcome, but we can also talk about consider unright retiring in order to stay active and stay engaged. We're finding that many individuals do look forward to retirement, viewing it as a time of relaxation, but they wake up when they like to do whatever they want during the day, but after that initial honeymoon period, some retirees find that they're missing the sense of structure and purpose of work formerly provided. This leads again to many wanting to unretire ta- or take on paid work again. Notably, notably, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, returning to the labor force does not mean that an individual must go back to full time work or even their previous profession. In this case, uh, unretiring in many cases might be things like buying a lakefront property including three cottages, one for the owner and two that could be rented out. In this case, a family example that was taken here, they did this, they enjoyed living on the lake, but the work involved in renting out the cottage the income it brings in has brought several benefits as well. For instance, the weekly cadence of uh, vacations coming in and out, the work required to turn over each cottage has added structure to their schedules in additional uh, tracking rental schedules. Maintenance requirements, tenant communications, and other responsibilities to help keep, in this case, his family in good mental and physical shape. Further, at a time when some retirees have a hard time replacing their social connections with workplace can provide, in this case, they say they've enjoyed meeting and interacting with a variety of renters that stay on their property. Finally, the rental colleges have provided an additional income stream, and for the, for them in their, uh, in their retirement reducing their dependence on performance of their investment portfolio. Only the key point is that while managing a rental property may not be for everyone, it provides an example of how retirees can get many benefits of working. They can have structure and income without necessarily returning to full-time employment. So just one example of what we're seeing happen out there where a lot of people are saying, well, they went out, they tried to find that job. They couldn't find that job. So they went out and bought their job and, um, uh, finding tremendous satisfaction in doing so. This has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. As always, if you've got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Hope you have a great week, and we'll be back here next Saturday. Wealth Wake Up Live. Thanks for listening.
4: On this show, are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.